0: This is the Truth Hurts program with your host Steve Z, telling it like it is. Good morning, everybody. It is the Truth Hurts program. It is the first day of July 2021, which means now we are in the seventh calendar month of the hopefully first and only term of gropy Joe Biden in the White House. Lord help us, and God bless our souls. But let's not talk about Gropy Joe right now. Let's talk about something called miscarriage of justice. Remember when white privileged people would get off from killing, let's say, a 13% AA hyphenated American minority on a technicality like the cop didn't read him his rights all the way, or there was a siren blaring in the background when his rights were read and he didn't understand them? Remember how angry, agitated, furious, upset, and violent the 13% AA hyphenated American minority would get because a white guy got off on a technicality? Well, now their hero, the jello guy, the old man Bill Cosby has gotten off from sexual assault, convictions on a technicality and people in the black African-American community are celebrating this as justice being served. Forget the fact that Bill Cosby was convicted for drugging women and then having sex with them in their sleep. You know, the old roofie pop. Bill Cosby gets off on a white privilege style technicality and the Black African American community celebrates. He's totally guilty obviously of shoving his pudding pop into the drugged comatose women of multiple races by the way, proving that Bill Cosby is not a racist, but his convictions proved that he was a rapist. Well now that conviction has been overturned. Why? because some backroom deal between Cosby's attorneys and a prosecutor said, hey Bill, if you go ahead and admit you raped these women, we won't charge you. And then the prosecutor, well, he got replaced with a competent prosecutor. And the new prosecutor said, hey, you just admitted guilt. We have to prosecute you. Privilege for Bill Cosby comes in the form of acting and sounding white all those years and being Dr. Cliff Huxtable. Well, on TV for all those years, you can make deals with a prosecutor and get off scot-free. Well, maybe not scot-free. He did spend three years of his life in prison. So I would highly expect now the reparations gang to come out and say he was unlawfully imprisoned, so he wants $50 million a year because he is, after all, a celebrity to justify and compensate him for being yet another black man imprisoned when he shouldn't have been. Now he gets to walk free knowing that he did sexually assault multiple women over multiple years. He admitted to doing so. When asked how he felt about getting out on a technicality, the 80-something-year-old most likely said, I like putting... Actually, I like putting my penis inside unconscious women. Hey, hey, hey! The double standard is alive and well. For there will be no protests, no riots, no marches for the women who were raped, who were sexually assaulted, who were drugged, Nope, not one bit. Steve Z and the Truth Hurts Program. You might recall on a previous program, I mentioned a transgender, black African-American, 13% hyphenated minority, man, woman, it, she, transgender, whatever, wanting to become a New Orleans police officer at the New Orleans Police Department and is now suing because it thinks it was discriminated against for being an it? That's not the only case. Many transgenders in many types of employment situations are now banding together to try and force companies to be more inclusive of their freakish lifestyle, of their aberrant behavior, of their non-binary, made-up, transgenderism we'll see how far this goes but the whole notion does make you kind of think doesn't it sodom and gomorrah maybe you betcha
1: new orleans minority ethnicity sexual orientation victim status hotline may i help you baby
2: Um yes, I was trying to apply for a job at your department to become a police officer. They told me yes I could and then they told me no I couldn't. I wants to file a complaint.
1: What's your name is baby?
2: My name is Karen. Figures. What?
1: Nothing. What's your last name, Karen?
2: My last name is Ann Lovin. Excuse me? My name is Karen Ann Lovin. Oh
1: I see. So your name be Karen Ann Lovin. (laughs) I guess it.
2: Well at least that's my current name.
1: Your current name?
2: Yes, I used to be Carl Loving, L-U-B-B-I-N-G. But after my journey to transition began, I changed my name to Karen Ann Loving, L-U-V-I-N.
1: What's your race? My what? Your race, your ethnicity, is you black or white or what? You Chinese or something?
2: Excuse me, I don't think you can ask stuff like that. Chinese or something, seems a little biased.
1: Okay, so you're Chinese, got it.
2: No, I am not Chinese, I am not of Asian descent. I am a light-skinned African-American transgender woman. Uh Uh-huh. My mama said my daddy was a black man, and she was a white woman, so I guess I'm mixed race, as my big ass will confirm. Also, my darker skin, my tight curly hair, my luscious full lips and big hips. My mommy always said I would have made a pretty girl, so here I am.
1: Okay, baby, looks like we got off track. Why you be calling today?
2: I applied for this job to be a police officer here in the Big Easy, and they said they were going to hire me. Uh uh-huh. And then they sent me for all kinds of tests, physicals where they looked at my naked body, which I was not too comfortable with because I'm still transitioning. Mm-hmm. Then they did a psychological evaluation.
1: Preach, baby.
2: And then they checked my employment history and my military background. Yay. Well, anyway, all this took quite a long while, and I had just had a soy latte, so I decided to go to the little girl's room. <laughs> and while I was in there standing up to urinate, this woman saw my penis and told everyone that I was a dude in drag and that I was standing up to pee.
1: No, they did not.
2: Really? I was humiliated. Oh, I bet you was. The next thing I know, they were. Was calling me to tell me I didn't have the job.
1: Oh, I see, baby. Well, that's a shame.
2: So I would like to file a complaint.
1: I bet you do, baby. Just fill out this form and send it in, and then in about two or three years, you'll get a response. Good luck, baby.
2: Wait a minute. That's it? That's all? Fill out a form? I want a badge. I want a gun. And I want it today. What the hell is wrong with you mother
0: people? Steve Z and the Truth Hurts Program. Much to the ire and the anger of those on the left, The United States Supreme Court has sided with Arizona on voting restrictions, according to Politico. Of course, that's the way they spin the headline to make you think it is voting restrictions. It's actually just Arizona's Voting Rights Act, their voting law. The U.S. Supreme Court today further reined in the impact of the Voting Rights Act, taking a view of when state voting practices can be ruled to violate the rights of minorities. In a pair of high-profile cases from Arizona, the justices split six to three along ideological lines, you know, party lines, with the majority concluding that disparate impacts on minority groups would typically not be enough to render voting rules illegal under the Voting Rights Act. The decision addressing Arizona's bans on out-of-precinct voting and a practice critics call ballot harvesting could make it more difficult for voting rights activists to challenge a slew of new voting restrictions that Republicans are seeking to implement in various states throughout our nation. The court's majority opinion from Sam Alito does not offer a bright-line test for future cases. However, he stressed that rules posing only modest burdens on voters would not usually amount to a violation of the act. Judge Alito wrote, every voting rule imposes a burden of some sort. Voting takes time and for almost everyone, some travel, even if only to a nearby mailbox. Casting a vote, whether by following the directions for using a voting machine or completing a paper ballot, requires compliance with certain rules. My God, the man understands. He makes sense, mate. It makes a lot of sense. Alito also stressed that not every disparity in impact on minority voters would run afoul of the law. He says, The mere fact that there is some disparity in impact does not necessarily mean that a system is not equally open or that it does not give everyone an equal opportunity to vote. The size of any disparity matters, he wrote. What are at bottom, very small differences, could not be artificially magnified. It makes sense. All the court's liberals, of course, dissented, joining an opinion by Justice Alina Kagan that portrayed the ruling as part of a profound and ongoing curtailment of the landmark 1965 voting rights law by the High Court. Kagan writes, What is tragic here is that the court, yet again, rewritten in order to weaken a statute that stands as a monument to America's greatness and protects against its basest impulses. What is tragic about the court has damaged a statute designed to bring about the end of discrimination in voting. She also wrote, the majority fears the statute Congress wrote is too radical that it will invalidate too many state voting laws, so the majority writes its own set of rules limiting Section 2 from multiple directions. Kagan pointedly accused the conservative justices of betraying a principle they claim to hold dear, that statutes should be unfailingly interpreted according to the text Congress enacted. Language that was added to the Voting Rights Act in 1982 Prohibited states and localities from employing any election practice which results in the infringement of voting rights, quote, on account of race, unquote. In his majority opinion, Alito wrote that the practices adopted in many states at the time that amendment was adopted would also generally be permissible, even if they had some adverse impact on certain groups voting. If they happen to be minorities, so be it if they happen to be white farmers living far outside of town, so be it. You make a choice as to where you live. Being able to just willy-nilly vote out of your own precinct or out of your own county or out of your own state, for that matter, should be illegal. With every right, such as the right to vote, there becomes responsibility. The responsibility to get to the polling place and vote on time under the rules and guidelines of the voting system put into place by your individual state. It's called states' rights, idiots. Alito also wrote, We doubt that Congress intended to uproot facially neutral time, place, and manner regulations that have long pedigree or are in widespread use in the United States. He also noted that in 1982, most states required nearly all voters to cast their ballots in person on Election Day and had strict limits on absentee voting, as it should be. The court left open the question of whether a state's decision to return to the practices of 40 years ago would pass muster under the VRA's ban on voting procedures that result in in what they claim is discrimination. In a suit the Justice Department filed last week in Georgia over its newly enacted voting rules, the gropy Joe Biden administration's lawyers seem to be trying to steer clear of the uncertainty about the so-called results test. Instead, the Justice Department based its suit entirely on the claim that the state's changes were motivated by a desire to limit African Americans voting strength. There was no motivation for that purpose. The use of the Voting Right Act to challenge practices that are intentionally discriminatory has been largely undisputed since the law was passed in 1965. The cases decided Thursday at the Supreme Court level involved challenges to a 2016 Arizona law banning what critics call ballot harvesting. And that's exactly what it is. When homeboy runs around to the projects and the poor neighborhoods and Gathers a bunch of ballots, whether they be properly filled out or not, and then, after some shuffling and movement and perhaps editing, delivers large chunks of ballots to a polling place when the voting numbers don't go their way. During a two hour long oral argument session in March, Chief Justice John Roberts and Justices Brett Kavanaugh and Amy Coney Barrett appeared to be seeking a way. To allow states to maintain common long-standing election rules while allowing suits over changes that disproportionately impact minority voters. A lawyer arguing on behalf of the Arizona State Republican Party contended that Arizona's laws don't prevent anyone from voting, so the Voting Rights Act should apply only if someone can prove the rules were enacted for racial reasons. He said, Arizona has not denied anyone any voting opportunity of any kind. It's not like a literacy test that denies you the right to vote. Everyone here is eligible and registered to vote. All they have to do is utilize the myriad opportunities that Arizona has offered them. He noted that 80% of Arizonans already cast their ballots by mail, But Justice Sonia Sotomayor said many Native Americans in the state don't get mail delivery at their homes. And some Hispanics in rural areas lack cars to get to the post offices that are often far away. So what? You have a responsibility to go and vote. We're not going to build a new post office in every square block of America just so Hispanics and Native Americans... And yes, even rural white Republican farmers would be inconvenienced having to drop off their ballot. The post office still goes to the reservations to pick up mail. Even if the Native Americans don't get a mailing at their home. Hispanics don't have cars, but there are mailboxes all over the country. Amy Coney Barrett rejected the GOP lawyer's claim that time, place, and manner restrictions shouldn't subject anything to challenge. She says, I don't really see why time, place, and manner really carries a lot of weight in your analysis. Kavanaugh repeatedly signaled he favors an interpretation where courts look more skeptically at changes that might adversely affect minorities than at challenges focusing on existing practices. He said the rules are commonplace in states that don't have a history of racial discrimination and that might be presumed to be acceptable. Sotomayor, who is widely considered the court's most liberal justice, suggested Arizona's newfound interest in limiting who can collect absentee ballots was more dubious than the state's well-established policy refusing to count out-of-precinct votes in counties with precinct voting. She said it's been around for a long time. Well, it doesn't mean it's right. We write laws and we change laws to change things that are wrong in our nation, Ms. Sotomayor. The bottom line is this, in my humble opinion, in order to vote any way other than walking your happy ass into a ballot location, a voting polling place on election day, should come with a requirement, you know, your responsibility, to prove that you could not, cannot, or are unable to walk your happy ass into a voting place on election day. I am open to a process by which people have to request a mail-in ballot and give a reason for doing so, such as, my legs just got cut off due to diabetes, or I'm deployed right now overseas defending our nation, or I have the Wuhan China novel coronavirus and don't want to infect people at the polling place. Please send me a ballot and see the accompanying doctor's note as proof of why I can't walk my happy ass down to the voting place on election day to cast my vote. Otherwise, let's start voting American Idol style, where everyone, because everyone should have their free Obama phone by now, should be able to vote, and their electronic serial number ID on their phone, along with certain other registration information, would allow you to cast a vote. Oh, but wait, I have four cell phones. Hmm, does that mean I get to vote four times? Does that mean the drug dealers in the hood with three or four or five burner phones would get to vote four or five times? Wrong. The only way to assure fair elections in these United States of America is for each person registered to vote, having to go vote in person, present an identification, showing who they are, casting the ballot once And only once. And if it's a little bit more inconvenient for Farmer John Smith to drive into town to vote, so be it. If it's a little more difficult for Letitia Watkins to get from the projects to the voting place at the nearby public schoolhouse, so be it. That's the truth. And unfortunately, the truth hurts. Nasty Nazi Nancy Pelosi has selected turncoat Republican Liz Cheney to serve on the January 6th Select Committee. Well, are you not surprised? This way she can say it's a bipartisan committee, even though Liz Cheney is about as Republican as I am a black female. Speaker Nazi Pelosi has named the Republican from Wyoming to serve on the Select Committee investigating the attack on the Capitol by a mob of people which included Antifa, BLM, and some pro-Trump supporters. Of course, this move was not quite a surprise since Cheney has emerged as the most prominent critic of Donald Trump on the Republican side, claiming he had a role in instigating the riot. But for Pelosi, it represents a strategic choice, ensuring that Congress's so-called special investigation remains bipartisan, regardless of whether or not Kevin McCarthy fills out the committee roster with a single other Republican member. Pelosi said, That gives us great confidence that we will be able to work in a nonpartisan way for the people. McCarthy was much less enthusiastic, saying moments later that he was shocked that Cheney would accept the post. Really, Kevin McCarthy? I'm not shocked at all. Cheney hates Donald Trump and will gladly serve in any capacity to try and pin the blame on the Donald. To lead the committee, Pelosi has tapped Representative Benny Thompson, a Democrat from Mississippi, chairman of the House Homeland Security Committee, who had authored the bill which created that independent commission. He said, we have to get to the bottom of finding out all the things that went wrong on January the 6th. Also on the committee, Zoe Lofgren of California. Adam Shifty Schiff, of course. Pete Aguilar of California. So far, all three California. Stephanie Murphy, a Democrat out of Florida. Jamie Raskin, a Democrat from Maryland and Elaine Luria, a Democrat of Virginia. Remember, it was Liz Cheney who voted to impeach Trump over that January 6th event, in which Donald Trump was, of course, acquitted, meaning not guilty. She supported an outside commission, which was recently dumped by GOP leadership over criticisms of Trump and persistent falsehoods about whether or not there were election Problems in the 2020 election. Now, just how and why and where and when this select committee will proceed remains unclear. Thompson declined to say when the investigation would even formally launch, when it could end. He said, I can't give a timeline. We'll let the facts help determine how long we'll meet. The facts? The facts? Senator Thompson? You people are on a witch hunt. You could give a damn about facts. And that's a fact. According to Politico, there's not a healthy environment inside the Kamala Harris vice presidential office, an office that Politico says is rife with dissent. The article begins, when Vice President Kamala Harris finally made the decision to visit the Mexico border last week, people inside her own office were blindsided by the news. For days, aides and outside allies had been calling and texting with each other about the political fallout that a potential trip would entail. But when it became known she was going to El Paso, it left many scrambling, including officials who were responsible for making travel arrangements, as well as others outside the VP's office charged with crafting the messaging across the entire Biden administration. The handling of the border visit was the latest chaotic moment for a staff that has quickly become mired. In chaotic moments. The Cameltoe Harris team is experiencing excessively low morale, porous lines of communication, and diminished trust amongst aides and senior officials. Much of the frustration is internally directed at Tina Flournoy, Harris's chief of staff, who's been in politics for years and years. But it should be directed at Harris herself, the woman who slept her way to the top, or perhaps slept her way to the bottom. In interviews, 22 current and former vice presidential aides, administration officials and associates of Biden and Harris described tense and at times dour office atmosphere. Aides and allies said Flournoy, in an apparent effort to protect Camel Harris, has instead created an insular environment where ideas are ignored or met with harsh dismissals and the decisions are dragged out over time. Often, they say, she refuses to take responsibility for delicate issues and then blames junior staffers for all of the negative results that come. Much of that ire is aimed at Harris's chief. Two administration officials said the VP herself also bears responsibility for the way her office is run. It all starts at the top, Camel toe Harris. And this was what was said by one of the administration's officials, who, like others, request anonymity to be able to speak candidly about such a sensitive matter without Camel Toe Harris flying off the handle and firing them for no reason. One of those administrators said, people are thrown under the bus from the very top, there are short fuses, and it's an abusive environment. Another person with direct knowledge of how the Harris vice presidential office is run said, it's not a healthy environment, people often feel mistreated. It's not a place where people feel supported, but a place where people feel treated like shit. The dysfunction in the vice presidential ranks threatens to complicate White House's carefully crafted image as a place staffed by a close-knit group of professionals working in concert to advance the president's stupid agenda. It's pronounced enough that members of the president's own team have taken notice and are concerned about the way Harris's staffers have been treated. Simone Sanders is a chief spokesperson and senior advisor for Harris She pushed back against the complaints and defended Flournoy and Harris, saying that there is an open door policy and that, quote, black women like me would not have the opportunity to work in politics without Tina Fortnoy. The chief of staff's anonymous critics, she added, people are cowards to do this this way. We are not making rainbows and bunnies all day. What I hear is that people have hard jobs and I'm like, welcome to the club. We have created a culture where people, if there is anything anyone would like to raise, there are avenues for them to do so. Whoever has something they would like to raise, they shall raise it directly. She doesn't appreciate these whistleblowers telling the truth about the shit show that is the Camel Harris Vice Presidential Office. The defenders also note that women in power, black women in particular, seem to be subjected to standards that men often don't have to clear. A tough and demanding office environment may be seen as a virtue for men or a sign of disorder and lack of leadership for women. But for some people who know Ms. Harris best, it's become an all-too-familiar pattern for a politician who has slept her way to the top and who has churned through several iterations of staff throughout her rise and took office with a team almost entirely new to her. Six months into the Biden administration, some of the aides in the office of the vice president say they're eyeing other employment opportunities. Others have already left. Hell, in recent days, two top advanced staffers, Carly Satkoyak and Gabriel DeFranceschi, parted ways with Harris, and what they and Harris officials say were long-planned departures, but that is a point disputed by two other people. They left because Harris sucks, and working for her sucks. DeFranceschi was the deputy director of Advance. The departure came due to a difference in opinion on how things should run. She did not respond to a request for comment. Harris, like Biden, are in way over their head, and they're taking it out on their staffers. And their staffers, well, they're not happy. And you know what they say. If your office environment sucks, your entire administration sucks. That's going to wrap up this edition of the Truth Hurts program, July the 1st, 2021. We'll see you next time. Make it a great day. Thank you for listening. The opinions expressed are protected free speech under the First Amendment to the U.S. Constitution. We apologize if you were offended, but we retract nothing. Background music by Jason Shaw and Audionautix. Copyright 2021, The Truth Hurts Network.